as you know, if you've been here at all the last few weeks, you know we're doing the story, which is a chronological through the Bible, all the way from beginning to end, Genesis to Revelation, uh, over the next several months, so that we can understand the big picture of the story of God, because it's God's story. It's not just a bunch of little stories, all isolated and random with their own little morals. There's a whole plan at work, and there's a whole story of God. And so we've been working that through, little by little. If you don't have a copy of the story, you can buy one if you want to. Uh, it's $15. You can order one through your app, or just check out the weekly email that we send out. It always has the links in it of the scripture that you want to read in preparation for that Sunday. So last week, let me just catch you up a little bit and get your head in the space so that you're ready for it. Last week, uh, the Israelites had come out of Egypt. They had been delivered out of Egypt. They're at the, at the foot of the mountain, and God is setting patterns for them because they're a brand new nation, and they know that they're supposed to be, you know, God's chosen people. They know that they're the descendants of Abraham, that God is going to bless the earth through them, but they don't really know what that means. They don't know really what that looks like. They don't know how they're supposed to behave, how they're supposed to be structured and all of that. And so God starts setting patterns for them and expectations really quickly so that they can become who they're supposed to be. And so we said last week, he, he started off by getting them to, to build a tabernacle. And it, and it was a place where God would live, a tent in the middle of their camp and setting out this principle and this expectation and pattern for God's people to make space for God right at the center, make space for God. And then we said that the second pattern, the second expectation, the second thing that he set out was he started this sacrificial system. And the reason for that was because it, we had to deal with the sin issue. There's a sin issue in each of our lives, and God's trying to show them that, that sin is an actual problem. It's not something that doesn't matter. It's something that does matter. And so God starts the sacrificial system pointing forward to the day when Jesus will be the one to be the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. And then the third one, the third pattern that God starts putting in order is, is how we interact with God and how we interact with people. And it was pretty simple. It was love God, love your neighbor. Love God, love your neighbor. Love there you go. And it was in the Ten Commandments and the rules that were there. And that just boils down to love God and love your neighbor. And, and we're talking about all this because it's not just a story of God, you know, bringing his people, picking them up in Egypt and taking them off to a new place to the promised land like he's some sort of divine Uber service. This is God who's actually, um, this is the story of God shaping his people along the way. It's not just that they're going somewhere. They are becoming something. They're becoming something. They're becoming the people of God. Okay, now turn to the person beside you and say, they're becoming something. They're becoming something. Okay? And that's important because it's not just the destination that matters. It's not just the end that matters. It's the journey along the way, and that's what really matters. So this week... We are on chapter 6 of the story, which is called Wandering. And if you checked your email earlier this week, you saw those were all the links. So it's a lot of scripture. And so a lot of you have read it ahead of time. You know we're doing it. So let me just, listen, when I was a kid, okay, when I was a child a long time ago, longer than you think. My family did long driving trips sometimes when we had vacation time. My dad was a teacher for a while, so he had summers off. And so we would all pile in the car and we would, you know, drive several hours to see our grandparents, one set of grandparents or the other. Or we would go camping and we would go and, and see different parts of Canada and we, and we drove to get there. And it was always very exciting, right? 
always so exciting because my parents would set up the car just so. And they would, they would mark out the space for me and the space for my sister so that we didn't accidentally touch each other. We each had, right in the back seat, we each had our own space. And there were little pre-portioned snacks, and they were so exciting. And there were car games to play, and there were um, books to read, and all this kind of stuff. And it was all wonderful, and we were so, so excited to go on this trip. And that lasted for like an hour. And then you'd hear from the back seat, are we there yet? Or, Mom, she's touching me. Maybe you guys didn't do that. We did. Okay. And then from the front seat, you'd hear, listen, if I have to pull this car over. Right? Because the games are boring now, and, and the snacks are gone, and blah, blah. And some of you just went through this just trying to drive through construction today to get to church. I know. I understand the pain. This is a bit of what's happening with Israel. There are some expectations that have been set up. There are some rules that have been set up. There are, they, got, they know where they're going. They've been waiting a year at the foot of the mountain, and now they're, they're off. They're going to head off to the promised land, and they know where they're going. They got snacks because they got manna it's coming down from the sky, which is cool. And uh, everybody's got their own space. You know, my sister and I had our own space. And, and Israel has been divided up into tribes. And everybody knows where they belong and in what order they walk and, and where they go when they camp at night. And so everything's been set up. And Moses is like, yes, it's really happening. They're actually following me. God said he was going to deliver them. And he has. And now we're just, he's just leading us. And we're following this huge cloud. And, and it's, t- it's directing us of where we're supposed to go. And, and in just no time at all, we're going to be out of this wilderness. And we're going to be in these beautiful meadows. And we're going to let our sheep graze there. And we're going we're gonna to plant crops and have more food than we even know what to do with. And, and best of all, we are finally going to be awesome. We are going to be this wonderful nation. We are going to be this great nation that God has said we would be. And all is well until it's not. And really, they're just a few blocks from home when the grumbling starts. It's on page um, 71 in your story, if you have it, or Numbers chapter 11. And it says, now the people complained about their hardships. Mom, right? Like, I'm sorry, what hardships precisely are they complaining about? They've just been rescued from slavery. They have just been, they, they can, they're being visibly led by God. They can all see the cloud that is leading them where they're going. So they're being visibly led by God. They got food just dropping miraculously from heaven as if that's normal. And they are heading towards the promised land. I mean, what, what is the problem? Now the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord. And when he heard them, his anger was aroused. And then fire from the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. Didn't hit the people, just, you know, hit a few edges of the camp to get their attention. And when the people cried out to Moses, he prayed to the Lord and the fire died down. So that place was called Taborah because fire from the Lord had burned among them. And you go, oh good, they've learned their lesson. (laughs) This is going to happen over and over, and over, and over again. People complain. God gets angry. There are consequences. People don't like the consequences, so they tell Moses to pray for them, and Moses prays, and then God gives mercy. 
And then they complain, and it just goes on and on, around and around the circle. Now, somebody goes, when they read these stories, they see, you know, the consequences that come when the people are complaining, and they go, you know, I don't mean to be rude, but, but what's God's problem? Like, can't he keep his temper under control? How come he is so easily angered? And I just want to pause and say to you, this is not a temper issue on God's part. This is not God being grumpy. This is not an out-of-control anger. This is a strong response to sin, okay? Now, I get that that sounds weird. We live in a world that doesn't really think sin is a problem. We live in a world that says, ah, you know, it's not that big of a deal. We're all just going along, whatever. Sin is not even a word anybody uses, and, and it's not really not that big of a deal, but it is. It is. It is. It's the, what messed everything up in the first place. It's the reason the world is the way that it is. Sin is evil, and it is malevolent, and it is destructive, and God is going, this cannot, it just cannot be permitted. Not even a little bit of grumbling. It's a problem. And so the people complain again, as they keep doing, and what's amazing to see is, is, is if, if they grumble and they complain enough, it's amazing to see how grumbling and complaining can actually reshape your memories so that things look different than what was actually true. And it can actually reshape your perspective on what's happening now and what's coming in the future. And so here's what happens. This is what people say. They start grumbling again and they go, if only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Okay, what? We remember the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now we've lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. Now, can I just ask you something? At what point along the way did Egypt become a fond memory at what point along the way did that happen? Oh, the food. It's not like it's Montreal, okay? And it, they should be, it, there's nothing like, oh, the abuse that we suffered there. Oh, the slavery that we were in. Oh, the poverty. Oh, the beatings. Oh, the murdering of our babies. No, no, no. Oh, but in Egypt, the food was wonderful. And this manna, I don't like it anymore. I'm, I'm tired. All we see is day after day, this miraculous food just keeps dropping from the sky. Great. It's a miracle. Whatever. I'm bored. I'm sick of it. And we want meat. Now, can I just tell you, 10 or 12 years ago, Jeff and I took a trip to Alaska for a vacation. My wonderful husband took me there, and it was, it was awesome. And Alaska is beautiful. There's a picture of it there. It's gorgeous. It's, it's just like a miracle of creation. There are, there are just rivers and trees and mountains everywhere and, and moose just walking along the side of the road like that's normal. And it's, it's gorgeous. I mean, you just, I couldn't take enough pictures because it was so beautiful. And we one day uh, went on a bus trip into Denali National Park. And Denali National Park is, is where Mount McKinley, or Denali, is, which is the highest mountain in North America. And we had such a clear view of it, and there's, there's clouds around the top. They call it the Jewel of Alaska. And, and we, we had this wonderful guide all the way in, and we're just looking at 
all of this miracle of nature and just going, I mean, our souls are just being filled by the beauty that there is of all of these rivers and trees and mountains. And, and, and it's, just, it's just gorgeous. We just loved it. Now, a couple days later, we were in a different part of Alaska, but, but we could hear, we were in a restaurant, and we could hear this lady at the table next to us, and she's talking, and it's clear she went on the same bus trip that we did. And she's talking fairly loudly. And so Jeff, my husband, who just enjoys stirring things up every now and then, kind of smiled at me and said, watch this. And he leans over to her and he said, hi. And she had a bit of an accent. And he said, are are you from New York? And she said, I'm from Jersey. How can you tell? That's what she said. And he said, I, you know, it sounds like you were on this, this bus trip into Denali National Park. We went on it, too. We really loved it. What did you think of it? She said, oh, I didn't care for it. And he said, really? She goes, you know, I have been on trips before, but this trip was just rivers and trees and rivers and trees and mountains. And I just think, you know, how long can you go just looking at rivers and trees and rivers and trees and mountains? And I finally, I was bored. And so I went to the front of the bus and I went to the driver and I said, excuse me. And I asked him, I asked him, I said, excuse me, is there a mall anywhere? And here's the Israelites going, all we see is manna from heaven and God's cloud leading us and manna from heaven and God's glory leading us around. Is there a burger anywhere? Maybe some chicken. We would like to have some meat. And God gets angry. And and understandably so, because it is a terrible display of ungratefulness and self-centeredness and greed on their part. And if it was me, I would have said, fine. You want to go back to Egypt? I will turn this car around. But Moses says to them, fine. You want meat? Oh, now the Lord will give you meat and you will eat it. And you will not eat it for just one day or two days or five, ten, or twenty days. But for a whole month, until it comes out of your nostrils and you loathe it, because you have rejected the Lord who is among you, And you have wailed before him, saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? Now, I'm no doctor, so I don't know, and I don't want to get too graphic here, but as far as I'm concerned, the only time meat comes out your nose is when you're vomiting. So just throw that out there for you. And so this pattern of grumbling and complaining, it just keeps going. And even uh, Moses' siblings get in on it, Aaron and Miriam, well, they got some complaints as well. And every time the people grumble, there are consequences. Every time God is angry, this sin of grumbling is a problem. And it's evil. And it is really going to mess them up. And it does. So they're walking along, and they finally get to Kadesh. And this is it. This is it. This is the moment. Kadesh is right on the edge of the promised land. This is where, and so while all of the, are we there yet? Moses can go, yes, we're almost there. We're at Kadesh. We're going to go into the promised land. And Moses, so they all pause, and he sends in a committee, which is his mistake because committees get nothing done. But Moses sends a committee, and he sends them into the promised land to scout it out and find out what it's like, tell us what it looks like, where's the next gas station, all of that stuff. And they spend 40 days in there, and they come back, and they go, oh, it's amazing. They said, we went 
into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But, but, but what? I mean, this is exactly what God has been promising. This is the place God has led them to. This is what you have been waiting for. What but? But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. Oh, and you hear muttering start around the camp. Oh, I don't like the sound of that. Descendants of Anak, big people. Are you sure we're following the right cloud? Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land. We can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. And they said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. And sure enough, that night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. And all the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. And here's the clincher. You ready? Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. And then the conversation turned to, let's stone Moses and Aaron. Now, this is where, right, God goes, oh, what are you going to do? This is where God just, just rolls his eyes and, oh, silly children of Israel, and picks them up despite their grumbling and just miraculously carries them into the promised land, right? Just miraculously fulfills his plan. Oh, you're just a little hangry, sweetheart. Here's a little snack and you'll feel better. Or, or you know, well, it's been a long journey, and they're tired. They're a little bit grumbly. Or, you know, it's okay, honey. We're just going to get you all tucked in in the promised land, and when you wake up in the morning, you'll feel better. Mm-mm. Nope. No. No. There have been multiple warnings over and over and over and over again, stop grumbling. And now they're finally almost there. They're ready to go in exactly where God has led them, exactly where the journey has been going. And they say, we're not going. And God says, okay. I will do to you, God said, the very thing I heard you say. In this wilderness, your bodies will fall. Every one of you, 20 years old or more, who was counted in the census and who has grumbled against me, not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home, except Caleb and Joshua, 
As for your children that you said would be taken as plunder, I will bring them in to enjoy the land that you have rejected. But as for you, your bodies will fall in this wilderness. Your children will be shepherds here for 40 years, suffering for your unfaithfulness until the last of your bodies lies in the wilderness. For 40 years, one year for each of the 40 days that you explored the land, you will suffer for your sins, and you will know what it is like to have me against you. I, the Lord, have spoken. The next morning, the Israelites woke up. They felt a lot better. They'd had a good night's sleep, and they said, oh, sorry about that. Sorry, our bad. We didn't mean it. Okay, we're good now. We're going to go into the promised land. Here, we'll prove it. We're ready to go. Well, let's go fight. We'll go up that hill and we'll start fighting a battle. We're ready to go, God. And Moses said, no, 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 no. What are you doing? God said, no, you're just disobeying God again, and God is not with you. And they said, no, 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 we can do it. And they went up the hill, and they attacked, and they were soundly defeated. And then they came back, and the wailing began again. But I thought we were God's people. I thought God had a promise for us. I thought this is where God led us. We're just claiming God's promise. Yes, you're God's people, and you're going to learn to act like God's people. God is faithful, actually. He's going to bring you back around, and he's going to bring you back to the promise, but not today. You're going to have a little time out. And you're going to think about what you've done, and you're going to learn to obey God. See, it's not just about the destination. It's about the journey. And God is shaping them on the journey to where he is taking them. And sometimes it's up to us how long that journey takes. Forty years later... Turn the person beside you and just go, 40 years later. 40 years later. 40 years later. They're back at the same place. And they've learned some lessons along the way. They look a little more like God's people are supposed to look. They're not perfect, but they're ready to go in this time. Moses is not going to go with them because he also had some sin issues along the way, and he's suffering the consequences, and so he's on top of a mountain. God has told him, you can look into the promised land, but you're not going. It's, it's time to hand off leadership to Joshua. So, so just before he does that, Moses gathers all the Israelites together again. And, and you remember 40 years ago, this was the guy that said, I can't make a speech. Well, he's had 40 years of training, so he's got a speech. This is his last speech that he gives to all the people of Israel, just before they, they go into the promised land, he's got something to say, and it's important. Now, it's not going to be on the screens, but it, it's on page 84 in the story if you have it, or you can just listen. But I just want you to hear some of what he says, okay? This is Moses talking to the Israelites. The Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hands. He has watched over your journey through this vast wilderness. These 40 years... The Lord your God has been with you, and you haven't lacked anything. Ask now about the former days, long before your time, from the day that God created human beings on the earth. Ask, 
from one end of the heavens to the other, has anything so great as this ever happened? Or has anything like it ever been heard of? Have any other people heard the voice of God speaking out of fire as you have and lived? Has any other God ever tried to take for himself one nation out of another nation by testings, by signs and wonders, by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, or by great and awesome deeds like all the things the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your very eyes? You were shown these things so that you might know that the Lord is God. Beside him, there is no other. From heaven, he made you hear his voice to discipline you. On earth, he showed you his great fire, and you heard his words from out of the fire. Because he loved your ancestors and chose their descendants after them, he brought you out of Egypt by his presence and his great strength to drive out before you nations greater and stronger than you and to bring you into their land to give it to you for your inheritance as it is today. So acknowledge... And take to heart this day that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth below. There is no other. Keep God's decrees and commands, which I'm giving you today, so that it may go well with you and your children after you, and that you may live long in the land your, the Lord your God gives you for all time. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you so that you may live. And increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. And then he talks some more. And then this is where he ends. Now what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you. It's not beyond your reach. It's not up in heaven so that you have to say, oh, who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so we can obey? No. And it's not beyond the sea so that you have to ask, who will cross the sea to get God's commands and proclaim them to us so we may obey? No. The word is very near you. It's in your mouth, and it's in your heart, so that you may obey it. So I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to keep his commands and his decrees and laws. And then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you're entering to possess. This day, I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you a choice, life and death, blessings and curses. Choose life. Choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God and listen to his voice and hold fast to him. And that's where we leave them at the end of chapter 6. Faced with a choice, 
again, just like we face choices. And so can I just throw you a couple of thoughts this morning before we go into our week that's filled with choices? Here's the first one. Stop grumbling. Stop grumbling. And you go, Patty, that doesn't sound very spiritual. And it doesn't sound very profound. I know. But apparently it matters. And grumbling is a problem. Grumbling is sin. And it is the opposite of gratitude. And it is the opposite of trust in the God who has brought you this far. And it is not harmless. We think that complaining and grumbling and getting into a habit of doing that is harmless. It's not going to hurt anything. I'm just blowing off steam. No, it's not harmless. Grumbling has the power to blind you to miracles that are happening right in front of you. And grumbling has the power to make you look back at slavery or whatever it was that was messed up in your life and make it look good. It's a habit, and it will get in the way of God leading you. Just stop it. Stop grumbling. Number two, God is sovereign, but not in control. Now, some of you go, wait, what are you talking about? Listen, listen. God is over everything. God is sovereign over everything. There's no question about that. But he does not control every tiny detail as a choice of his will. He chooses not to control every single detail of every. God brought the Israelites to the edge of the place that he had for them. And then he invited them to go in. And they said, no. God did not control that choice. Arguably, that was not his plan. Now, did he remain faithful even after that? Yes, of course he did. Did he bring good out of it? Yep, absolutely. Because God is sovereign and he's over everything. But he's not in control of everything. He's not micromanaging um, or, or hyper-controlling or forcing his will on us like a sort of immutable fate and destiny that we can't avoid and we have no choice. That's not how that goes because... Number three, obedience is part of the journey. It's not just the destination. It's the journey. And sometimes it's up to us how long that journey takes. And sometimes how long it takes has something to do with whether or not we're letting God shape us so that we don't just carry the label people of God but we actually behave and act like and live and speak like people of God who have learned to follow and obey God. So I'm going to ask if you would stand at this moment, stand to your feet and and bow your heads, and we're just going to take just a moment to pray because we always give some time for us on the inside to respond to God. And God, at this moment, we're just standing across this room. And I mean, it's a different kind of message in some ways because it's just so, well, it's a little bit in your face. (laughs) And, And God, we, you know, if we're honest for a good number of us, we need to just acknowledge and own that 
we've probably got some growing to do. We've probably got some grumbling that we need to stop. Some of us, we fall into a habit of grumbling and complaining, and we don't even realize it's a habit. It's just, it's just this thing that we do, and then we wonder why we're getting messed up. And we need to see that. We need to acknowledge it. We need to repent. Say, God, we're going to choose to live lives of gratitude and trust. I'm going to choose to live lives that are obedient to you. God, we're going to learn to act like your people, not just carry the label. So God, at this moment, would you just show us where we need to respond? Show us in our own hearts. Help us to give our lives to you again. You alone deserve my worship. Oh, you alone deserve my praise. You alone deserve my worship. And you alone deserve my praise. You to worship and to pray and to open our hearts to your word. We've taken time to open our hearts to your Holy Spirit. And in many cases, we've asked your forgiveness and we've invited you to continue shaping us. Now, God, as we walk out of here, would you help us to carry Jesus well? Would you help us to not just carry the label of people of God, 
but to walk out of here acting and behaving and living and speaking as people of God. Would you help us this week to do good, help us to love each other, and help us to reveal Jesus to a world that desperately needs to see him. I ask your covering and your blessing over every person here. Go with us as we leave. Bring us back safely next week. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. If you want to receive prayer, there's always people at the ministry team at our stations. They'll pray with you. Make sure you say hi to someone on the way out. We'll see you next Sunday.